And you did not need a drug test to know that Lesnar was on steroids then, or he was on steroids now, or he's on steroids next week, or he was in steroids in college. You could just look at him. You meet the guy that goes to the carnival and he wants to yell at the worker afterwards. You saw the ride and then you bought a ticket. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, there is so much going on in combat sports this week. The build-up to Logan Paul and Dylan Danis has gotten heated, and I got to weigh in on it. Plus, I'm going to tell you why Tony Ferguson versus Patty the Batty is the perfect fight, and Joe Rogan has some strong words to say about Conor McGregor. I'm going to get to all of that and more today, but I want to begin here. Mark Hunt made MMA news this week, and I found this to be somewhat interesting. In one regard, it was topical. He's had a lawsuit going against the UFC for a number of years, but it had a lot of different tentacles, it appears, because a number of those lawsuits were open and shut, And but then you'd read months later that there was another motion. And then you'd read that it was dismissed, and but you'd read that there was another motion. You're going, oh my God. Is Mark having to write the checks for these? Like, did Mark get some lawyer to go, yeah, I'm a fight fan and I'll throw my name around you and I'll go take on these big guys. Maybe I can get a little bit of press out of it. Like, lawyers will do that all day, but that doesn't mean that he found one. There could just be a scumbag lawyer that told Mark that he had a case and legitimately Mark was paying this guy. I mean, this would have been a, this would have been easily a six-figure lawsuit if Mark was writing the check. And I do, I do ask that question. Because if a lawyer took this pro bono or or he took this for a piece, okay, fine. But there would be a massive ethical issue if Mark Hunt from New Zealand, not knowing the laws of America and more specifically Nevada, had to hire and retain an attorney because that was a terrible case. There was not one person amongst us that thought that Mark had any standing in that case, and everybody's a big Mark fan. It wasn't personal. It was a bad case. Essentially, the premise goes like this. UFC 200, Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt. Brock Lesnar was dirty. He was taking steroids, and and specifically steroids. That That's a big deal. Like anytime somebody fails a PED test, the uneducated will then say that it's steroids. But steroids are really quite antiquated. In terms of performance-enhancing drugs, steroids are no longer king. It's not like 1972, just for example. But in Brock's case of clomiphene, he was taking steroids. So the test was administered to Brock prior to the fight. Now, I'm going to make dates up. I read I read the whole thing. I have the information. It's a matter of retaining it. I think I've got it, but I'll prove my point either way. The fight is going to be on a Saturday. Thursday prior to the fight, a drug test is administered by the United States Anti-Doping Agency. The fight happens on Saturday. Later, two weeks later, the test results come back. Brock Lesnar on steroids. Brock Lesnar, who had his hand raised that night, instead it moves to a no contest. And Mark Hunt's assertion was that the UFC and or in cahoots with the United States Anti-Doping Agency concealed the results of the test until after the bout. Now, that would, of course, be extremely illegal to do. That would be a terrible thing to do, particularly in the world of USADA, where you are guilty until proven innocent. Right In the world of USADA, if you have an irregular assay, your contest and your license and your status will stop. If you have a fight coming up, you have a multi-million dollar fight, you have a title fight coming up, it will not take place. And if you can then go in through arbitration and prove your innocence, 
There's no way to put you in a time machine and get that fight back. You guys understand these things. But when you pick up the test on a Thursday, just to get it to the lab in Salt Lake or to the lab on the campus in UCLA, the only two laboratories in America equipped to handle these types of tests, that alone could take a couple of days. Now, I don't know how interested you guys are in the weeds of that, but when somebody takes your sample, which is urine and blood, urine and or blood, in this case it was both, they can never leave that. That sample can never leave them. That's been tested a number of times. Somebody took it to UPS. Somebody took it to FedEx. One guy took it to an airport, sent it through the x-ray machine. As soon as you lose custody, as soon as custody is broken, that test is no good. And there are a number of dirty guys, particularly in the Tour de France is where this really got tested. There was a number of dirty, filthy guys that still fought it through the court process. And because of chain of custody, because the chain of custody was broken, international court had to throw it out. So I I bring it to you because it is relevant. Like, you're not going to get this on a Thursday and then overnight it to the lab by Friday and then they run it through machines before the door hits them swiftly in the ass at 5 o'clock. It doesn't work that way. So on that same card was a main event, and it was John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. Brock Lesnar was not the main event. Right, Brock Lesnar got brought in. I mean, you do have to understand, if Mark wanted to have any kind of a complaint, I don't think this would be a legal complaint, but if on a personal note he wanted to be offended, he got brought in to get beat up by Brock Lesnar. They brought in a kickboxer from New Zealand who had never had a wrestling match to take on the NCAA wrestling champion that was yoked out of his mind. And you did not need a drug test to know that Lesnar was on steroids then, or he was on steroids now, or he's on steroids next week, or he was in steroids in college. You could just look at him. You could take one look at him. And I only bring that to you because you meet the guy that goes to the carnival and he wants to yell at the worker afterwards. You saw the ride and then you bought a ticket. There was nothing, right? And this this doesn't clear anybody, by the way. Like, Mark isn't wrong for doing this. I'm just bringing up a point that Mark doesn't really get to throw on a Mr. Surprised face when a guy he knows is using steroids test positive for steroids. That's a side note. Like, that's not going to hold up in court. I'm just bringing that to you. Where Mark could have his feelings hurt is on paper at a minimum, he had no chance to win that fight. Okay, great. But on that same night, the main event that they wanted much more and needed much more and was actually for a championship with two guys who were then going to be around to get you what's called a return on your investment got broken up because of a drug test. Not to mention, they were very different substances. I mean, what John went down for, as dirty as it was, John didn't know he took it. I mean, you could task John Jones right now to go out and find that substance. He wouldn't be able to do it. You would need a museum. You would literally need a museum. You, you're not going to be able to go out and find Tremble on the streets. It's, it's a very difficult thing to get. John took a banned substance, likely growth hormone, but it could have been his EPO. He took a banned substance that was tainted with Tremble. That's very different than Brock Lesnar taking clomiphene and rubbing it into his wrist to become huge. I mean, I'm just sharing for you, like, it's a tough argument for Mark to make because it's all speculative anyway. He doesn't know when they got the results. He doesn't know when it was back. He doesn't know who got a phone call. He doesn't know what was said on the songs. The whole thing's speculative. So if you're going to speculate, they broke up the main event that night for a much lesser substance against a much more valuable guy. And it was just, it was a tough argument. And if Mark took this pro bono and he got some fun and he got a little pleasure out of this and he got a couple of digs in for what he's really upset about, which was being set up and having to fight Brock in the first place, if if he got a couple of digs, more power to him. If an attorney told him, I can win this case and took his money, that attorney's a crook.
Speaking of court cases, I mean, let's just keep it legal over here today at Bad Guy Inc. And I'm going to have to do this because a major case is coming up with Cain Velasquez, right? Everybody's been following the Cain case. And it's finally been set that they will go to trial in January. And it's a very interesting spot, right? When you have a prosecutor who doesn't want to do a case, but he has to. If somebody, allegedly, Kane, I don't believe that, but if you have somebody that pulls up in traffic with a semi-automatic and unloads a clip into a car full of people, you have a problem on your hands. If the person who did that is an enraged father whose child was just raped by a person in that car, you have a problem on your hands that comes with a little bit more of an understanding. Now, you still have an accusation that's terrible, that a person wasn't able to defend, and you have three people in a car, one of which is the accused. Which means you have somebody unloading a clip at two people that are completely innocent, and possibly three if these charges aren't real, right? I mean, you, you run into one of these really weird spots, but if you have a prosecutor who's got a kid or some level of understanding, he is going to have to do his job, which is to charge you, but he can do you a favor, which is he can mischarge you. And in this case, where Kane is being charged with attempted murder, the prosecutor's attempting to help him. Because that would not be an accurate charge. You would have to prove a premeditation and a desire to kill the person. Of which came from a parked car who's not known as a marksman. I didn't even know the guy packed a gun. I mean, in all fairness, I've known Kane since he was 18 years old. I never even knew he packed a gun. To make believe he's good with a gun, I mean, he shot it at three people and he hit one guy in the leg. It's not, it's not like this is an expert here. If he wants to kill you, he walks up to you. Or he puts the gun away and he beats you to death. I mean, I don't think that you're going to be able to convince 12 people that weren't smart enough to get out of jury duty that this guy actually wanted you dead. As opposed to, he was pissed off and he wanted to bring a little bit of fear into your life, the same as you brought into his sons, allegedly. And that will be a case that they're going to bring forward. And, and I bring you this because I wish the best for Kane, and I don't think he did it. I don't know how they're going to prove that he did. I don't know what witnesses saw him. I don't know anybody that saw him with the gun. I don't know anybody that he made a comment to. I think you're going to have the word of somebody who's an alleged child molester, and that's not good. Like, I don't take a pleasure in saying that about the guy. I really don't. What if what if he was innocent? But but in all fairness, what if Kane's innocent? Well, if Kane didn't pull those tricks, you don't know either. Don't act like you do. You read something somewhere online. You don't know a damn thing about this case. You don't know anybody's name in the car. You don't know what kind of car Kane was driving, allegedly. You don't know what kind of car they were driving. You don't know what caliber the gun was. You don't know how many bullets were fired. You literally don't know anything about it. So don't act like you do. And if you don't know about it, we got to let them go. They've got to be able to prove it. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. You want to hear about an interesting case I read about last night? There's a guy got picked up in 2003, okay? And he had turned $800 into $350 million in two weeks. He did 156 risky accurate trades in the stock market. So they bring him in because nobody's got that kind of luck. And they say, how did you do it? And they believe that he was a foreign national. And he told investigators, I am from the future. I did this because I'm from 250 years in the future. I knew how these were going to go the same as I know how everything else is going to go. I can tell you whether you guys figure out cancer, and I can tell you whether you guys figure out AIDS. So they decide that he's got insider training because there's no way he's from 250 years in the future, even though all of his trades come through, and even though they can't prove he's got any friends, and they look into the guy, and they can't find his name. They don't know what country he's from. They don't get anybody that comes out and claims, I'm his parent, I'm his neighbor, I was his teacher. Nobody knows this guy, and then he vanishes. That's a true story. And they've never found him since. And they froze the money and they took a lot of his trades and they don't know where he's at. 
And I do find that to be a very interesting story. And if you guys go and Google that, and some of you will, some of you are going to come back and tell me that's not true. It is true. It's 100% true. So often when the FBI, much like the D.B. Cooper case, when they don't know how it went, they just throw it all. We knew the guy fell into the woods and he got eaten by a bear. No, the guy got away. You just weren't good enough to catch him. That's what really happened. And it's, it's one of these very peculiar spots. My son's going through it now. He's in school. He's learning about the dinosaurs and the dino. And this was, I had to read this to him. I had to read this to him yesterday. The dinosaurs existed from 10 to 30 million years ago. Now, <laughs> what kind of a gap is that? From 10 to 30 million? What kind of a gap? You have 20 million years? It's just one of these interesting things, and it doesn't mean that it's not true. You, but you do start to understand the more information that you're given from people you trust. There's a reason that JFK was shot on videotape, and they still can't tell you who did it. Have you ever tried to Google yourself? It is shocking how much of your personal information is available online with one simple internet search. Your address, your home phone number, your social security number, family members, all of this data is sold online by data brokers. This can lead to identity theft, but it's also really unsafe. This is why Uncle Chael recommends Delete Me. Delete Me wipes your personal data off the internet and helps you keep your information private as it should be. All you have to do is to complete one short online form with your past and most recent information and Delete Me's team of experts will take care of the rest. You will find that information is deleted within just a few days. Not only that, Delete Me will do a new search every few months to make sure your information has not reappeared online. Guys, they have made it so simple for us and using their service will save you so much time and stress. Delete Me has been in the privacy information removal business for over a decade, so you can trust they have this down pat. Don't fight the battle against data brokers on your own. Let Delete Me go to battle for you. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash chael and use the promo code Chael, the only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash Chael. Enter the promo code Chael at checkout. That's www.joindeleteme.com slash Chael, promo code Chael. Keep your personal data to yourself. Guys, the number one question I get asked all the time, what's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep, and honestly, that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college teams. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com. And use the promo code CHAIL. So we've all had a day to think about it. Patty the Batty versus Tony Ferguson. Are you guys starting to see where this fight is perfect? Because I feel as though there, I was, it needed a beat. There was something about it, and I'm not sure what that something was. 
Perhaps it was Tony Ferguson getting signed again. Perhaps it was Tony Ferguson getting signed again off of a loss against a guy who's off of a win. Or Tony off of two losses, off a guy off of two wins. Or Tony having six fights in a row that were losses versus a guy who's never lost within the UFC. I mean, but where would your problems come from? I don't know why we think there's a rule that guys who won fight guys who won and guys who lost fight guys who lost. I understand as a policy, and if you were to look at the numbers, that that happens more often than not. But there's definitely different losses within different victories. Can we agree on that? Can we agree Tony Ferguson having those six fights, but none of those guys were outside of the top 10 is very different than Patty having a number of wins against guys who never were within the top 10. Can we agree on something like that? And who would you put as the advantage versus the disadvantage? You have a guy that's active and busy and doing it, regardless of outcome. He's active and busy and doing it. He's going through the steps, not only the training camps, but all of the anxiety and all of the emotions that come once you sign that bout agreement. Dealing with the travel, going to hotels, beating the scale, getting warmed up with your hands wrapped and making that walk, feeling all of those things. We have one guy that's been doing that within Tony Ferguson. We have another guy who has not done any of those things. A guy that was hurt, a guy that was injured. A guy whose number one focus between now and UFC 296 will not be on Tony Ferguson. It will not be on rankings. It will not be climbing the ladder. It will not be making money. His number one focus will be to make weight. And you must understand, there's no part of me that is giving Patty the Batty a hard time. The way this narrative has come out is that Patty is way up here and Tony is way down here in a hole. So instead of climbing Tony out of that hole and getting him up the rung, yeah, I'm pulling Patty down a little bit, but I am telling the story the way that it happened. My freshman year of high school, I had one goal going to the state tournament. It was to the point that I told people, my only goal is to make weight. I don't care how this event goes at all. I don't care who I wrestle. What this, I, I just want to make weight. I need that part over. I know I can beat all of them. I don't know that I can make weight. I will have a fair opportunity to go out there and compete and try to have more points than the other guy. I don't know if I can get that scale to say 115 pounds. So when I talk to you about a full focus or at least number one focus being on making weight, I'm coming from a very personal standpoint. And when you have that frame of mind, it is a difficult thing to do to get focused in on that fight and come up with any kind of strategy and or plan because you have 24 hours to do it. That will never be part of it until after you get off of that scale. So he'll go back to his room, he'll come up with a strategy and he'll move forward with Tony Ferguson. I understand that Patty's the favorite in this fight. I understand that Patty can win this fight. I'm just letting you know there, there's a number of things, if you're checking boxes, that go into the against Patty category as well. Michael Bisping came out and talked about this. Michael was very polite to Tony. He said, man, that's, that's not an easy fight for anybody. Yeah, well said. Well said by Michael. Michael also thought that it was a lose-lose for Patty. That if he loses to Tony Ferguson, that, of course, isn't helpful. But if he beats Tony Ferguson, that, of course, isn't going to help because it's what he's expected to do. The rankings are already reflected within it, by example. And that part I don't know that I would agree with. I saw the card. The card is laid out, starting from the top. The last one to walk will be Leon Edwards. His opponent will be Colby Covington. Underneath that, got the Pantasio title fight. Underneath that, any guesses? Tony Ferguson versus Patty Pimlet. And where that becomes interesting is underneath that, you have number 11 in the world versus number 10 in the world with Ian Gary versus Vincent Luque. Underneath that, you have number five in the world with Stephen Thompson taking on Rachmanov, who's never lost to anybody in this world. 
Right? So, I mean, you, you have absolutely top-ranked guys that are going to be jerking the curtain for Patty and Ferg. I, I don't know if I see those as a lose-lose. I've heard a number of people not want to do fights, and they'll say because it doesn't make sense. And I've heard that expression since 1993. I have never had anybody lay out their case and be right. I have never heard of a reason to not do a fight because public perception will work against you. It will make you look so bad. It will harm you. I've never seen that. I've never seen somebody win and get released. I've never seen somebody win and make less money. I've never seen somebody win and return to a card in a lower placement. I've never seen somebody win and not get media. I've never understood what it doesn't make sense means. I've, I've never seen that. And if Tony Ferg, who's lost six in a row, versus Patty the, uh, the Batty, Patty the Batty's goal isn't even to beat Tony Ferg. And if he does, he doesn't get anything for it. It doesn't move him up. It doesn't move him one step closer. His number one goal is to make weight. So you got a guy that's lost six in a row against a guy whose biggest goal is to make weight. That's still the third biggest fight of the night. And frankly, that would be the co-main event if you didn't have to show respect to Pantasio and his opponent. If you could see that entire card and see two matches, you'd take Leon and Colby, but then you'd take this one. So the fight that doesn't make sense and the fight that a lose-lose in your mind and within your desires to watch, you're much more drawn and compelled to it than you are some of the top-ranked guys in the world. And I'm with you on that. I just don't think that we need to deny it. We don't need to pretend that this is an out with an old and in with the new. We don't have to pretend that Tony Ferguson can't win this fight. We don't have to pretend that a guy in Patty the Batty, whose full focus is on making weight, oh, by the way, and nursing and rehabbing whatever was wrong with him in the first place, which I think was a leg that could have been a knee, a hip, or a foot, but I feel like it was something with that appendage. You don't know what's going to happen in this fight. This is anybody's ballgame. And yeah, there's, there's some knocks on Tony's record. But there's a real positive. Which is within his entire career, he was willing to fight anybody at any time. And apparently that dog inside of him hasn't changed. The only difference is now he's taken on a guy who hasn't done it in a year, is nursing an injury, and his biggest goal is to beat the scale. Getting stopped is so helpful. Like going out and losing a fight is a really bad thing. Going out there and getting stomped out quickly. Quickly. Boy, can that be helpful. I remember when Joanna Champion, which was a surprise, she got stopped by Rose. So they rematched it. You couldn't even believe what you're seeing, so you went ahead and rematched it. And Joanna was just as big of a favorite going to the second one. I remember when Wei Lee got kicked in the mouth before ever touching Getting to go back to Rose was like 11 seconds in, but never touched her. Never so much as got kicked in the face and went down. They rematched it. Oh, by the way, Wei Li was a favorite going to the first one. She was just as big of a favorite going to the second one. There's something about getting stomped out like that that helps you. Anderson Silva got manhandled by Chris Weidman. That is no knock to my old foe. He was manhandled. Stopped in the second round, but the first round was as bad of a round as you've ever seen in title fight history. But there was a weird moment where Anderson had put his hands down when Weidman backfisted him and knocked him out to the point that the whole thing went away. Seven and a half minutes in, seven and a half minutes of a beating, but none of it was remembered. It was only remembered that Anderson's hands were down when he got knocked out. So they rematched it. And wouldn't you know, Anderson was a two and a half to one favorite in the rematch, exact same as he was in the first match. There's just something about it. Where getting stopped doesn't put praise on your opponent. It protects you. It helps you. That piece of the psychology will never go away. Like, and I guarantee if you went back and you asked Buster Douglas, who's one half of the biggest upset in all of sports, all of sports history, you always hear announcers, this is one of the biggest, this is one of the biggest. The biggest upset in sports history is the night that Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson in the ninth round in a fight in Japan. But if you could go back and ask Buster right now, you've got a magic wand. Buster, you're going to beat him. We're going to go to a decision. 
It's going to be unanimous. Everybody's going to see you outbox Mike Tyson. Or we'll keep it the way it is now, which is you were getting thumped. You caught him with one hand and knocked him out. What do you want to do? He would give that knockout up. As much as they want to tell you and the pundits and the promoters want to tell you how important the finish is and the fans say we want to see a finish. When you see a finish, your eyes instantly play a trick on you. And there's something about that. Joe Rogan was speaking about Conor McGregor just today. And he was talking about the fact of Conor returning. Returning after not only years off, but of a very serious injury. And Joe said, if anybody can do it, it's him. And that was a, a very baffling statement by Joe to make. To the point that I reread it and reread it. And to this, I still, as I'm talking to you guys, think that it was wrote wrong. I don't think Joe would have said it. If anyone could do it, it's him. I don't think he said it. To, to say something like that, you would have to have a history of doing something like that. Give you a great example. Randy Couture had returned from retirement. But the first time that he returned, he returned to win a world championship. So then when he takes a break, he's going to return again, and he wins another championship. The third time is when people are saying, well, you know, he's 47 years old, but if anybody can do it, it's Randy Couture. That would be true. Or you look at what this quarterback... This Brady kid, Tom Brady, playing quarterback out there with the Buccaneers. Before that, with the Patriots. But he retired, and they hold a parade for him, and then he comes back. He retires, and he comes back, and it cost him his marriage. It cost him everything, but he came back, and people understood, well, you know, if anybody could do it, we'd say that right now if Brady announced he was going to come back. Well, you know, if anybody could do it, it'd be him because he's demonstrated it before. That's why it's a very weird comment that I'm not confident was relayed to me correctly. Joe Rogan said, if anybody can do it, it's Conor McGregor. Why? Why would it be Conor McGregor? What part of what you see within Conor McGregor lends you to believe he can flip a script? And the number one thing in people's minds is the way that fight got stopped. You know for sure, at least probability-wise, that is not going to happen again, right? You would be more likely by the numbers to be struck by lightning or to win the lottery. Then to have a compound fracture on the same leg, but only against Dustin Poirier in the second round. Like, it, it's, we're really confident that isn't going to happen again. Okay, fine. How does that then lead you to believe McGregor's going to win? Like, let's take a look at that fight. Much like we should have taken a look at the fight of, of, of Chris Weidman versus Anderson Silva part one. It was seven and a half minutes, but it was seven and a half minutes of Weidman winning. In the McGregor-Poirier fight, there was one completed round. They were in the second round, so there was one completed round. So let's go see who won that round. Dustin Poirier did. And one thing about Conor McGregor is he is a front runner. It's been the story of his career. He will beat you up early, but if you can keep him around, your chances to, to close him out go up. Should this go to a decision, it greatly favors you. Should it go into a fourth or fifth round, it greatly favors the opponent. So when you have a guy that's a front runner that brings a storm, looks around, and generally nobody's left standing, when you have a front runner who lost the first round, everything about his career historically says it gets worse as the night goes on. It doesn't get better. And then you have the injury. And this is before you have the photographs and the bought a bar and alcohol sponsors and some of the extra click girls. Before you have any of those things... I just think that it's a very baffling statement. If anybody could do it, it's him. Why? Why? It's him against two. Michael Chandler, as we're told, who's been active, who's been busy, who goes through camps, who lives the right lifestyle, has gone through the processes, has done everything that he said he would do, never messed with weight, never missed opponent, never, never messed with absolutely anything. A guy not doing it and Conor McGregor is likely to heal, get better, and then surpass that. I mean, let's just take Chandler out of it. Let's just go back to Poirier. If he was to rematch Poirier, he was stopped in their second fight. He was stopped in the third fight. There was one completed round in the third fight. He didn't win that. By the numbers... Things get worse. That's just by the numbers. You could bring up Connor's entire career. You could put it on a giant whiteboard behind me. It will be very clear, the chart and the graphic. First round, second round, third round, fifth round. I don't give Connor a hard time. I don't give him a hard time at all. 
I think I'm just more more interested in, in the point that allegedly Joe made. Anybody could do it, it's Connor, but why? What what is it that he has that other guys don't have? Why him? Why would it be him? What have you seen historically speaking? What medicine? What doctors? What things? Connor May's got a, a lot of money and he's under the radar and he's off in Ireland and he's got houses other places so he can hide out and play the game in between. Like, exactly what are we saying? The article said, moreover, by Joe Rogan, I've seen him star, spar. He looks like a savage. I, I agree with that. I fully agree with that assessment. Like, from an athletic standpoint, I have not seen any reductions in Connor McGregor. But if you want to see the line change, right? To get something different, you have to do something different. If you want to see the line change and you want to see meaningful life blown into the idea that Conor McGregor's return is going to be successful, all you have to do with Conor is what you're going to do with every other fighter on the card that night. Make their fight three rounds. The human body is not made to do five rounds. It's not made for that. That is where every idea of drugs and cheating comes from, comes from that. It's just like the Tour de France. You, you wonder why all those cyclists that have ever placed on all these drugs, go look at what they do as they're riding those bikes through the Alps. The human body's not made to do that. So you have to take the body to a superhuman level. I'm only suggesting for you. Connor wants to change his chances. He wants the odds. He wants to flip everything. He can fight anybody on that roster. But the idea, particularly when the numbers don't lie, and that he's going to take three years off and return from an injury and be able to enter the five-round club... Of all the fighters you've ever seen fight, of the 763 under contract right now, 63 of 763 are under contract, 63 of them will ever be asked in their entire career to even do five rounds. They will only have the invite. 63. The other 700, just move them out of the way. Of the 63 that are even asked at any point in their career to do it, 12 will enter the five-round club. It's extremely rare to be offered a fight that's either a main event or a title fight anywhere in your career. And of the people that are, if you saw how small that number is of somebody that actually went out there and survived and did it for 25 minutes, I think that your jaw would drop, and I think that you would see my point. And if you're talking about bringing somebody back from a layoff, it wouldn't matter what he did in between. It wouldn't matter if they were doing triathlons in between. You will never get that feeling. You'll never get that same energy. And the only thing, if you want a competitive chance that you need to argue for, is you need to argue that you're going to do what everybody else that night's going to do. You're going to fight another man, the best of your ability, for up to 15 minutes. is not going to fight Logan Paul. Now, whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? And let's start at the very beginning. Dylan puts out a tweet that says, I'm not into this. I'm over it. Peace. So everybody, of course, assumes that that means he's talking about the fight, that he's over it, and he's done. Let's say that Dylan Dennis isn't going to fight Logan. Why would that be? I mean, whose fault would that be? If Lo, if, if Dylan is able-bodied, if he's healthy, doesn't even claim to not be, and says, I'm not going to go through with that fight, whose fault would that be? It is an amazing situation to put a lawsuit against your opponent. I mean, it's, it's just an incredible situation. You guys have heard of slander. Yes, of course. You've heard of slander. And you've heard of you being say, somebody, uh, if you say something that isn't true about me, if you defame me, I'll sue you. I'll sue you for slander. You've heard that as an expression. Possibly you've said it to somebody. Possibly you've had it said to you. You have never actually sued somebody for defamation. You've never actually been sued for defamation. As a matter of fact, if you're sitting there to think about it, you don't know of anybody that has. You've heard it. You feel that it's a thing. But you couldn't actually say, well, you know what? My neighbor did that five years ago. My classmate's mom. No, you don't actually have an example. And 
Do you want to know where it's worse? The worst slander, the biggest lies that you'll ever hear, and I mean lies, where somebody is intending to do damage to somebody by stating things that they know are not true, the biggest lies are amongst politicians against opponents. Did you know there's a law where your political opponent, it's official through the Secretary of State, you're both on the ballot. Once you get to that point, you are not capable of committing slander against your opponent. Did you know that? You're completely protected. So, could we at least agree, regardless of what the laws might say, that all is fair in love and war? Can we do that to an extent? It just seems to me, if you sue somebody, you threaten to sue somebody, you're going to follow through, you're doing multiple states, you get to be a federal suit, you've also removed yourself by one. I mean, that part is very relevant. Logan is the one who threatened Dylan, openly, publicly, said to cease and desist, but he was doing it on behalf of a gal. So now it it is a question. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Is this between Dylan and a gal, or is this between Dylan and Logan, and Logan brought in a third party? It, It does start to get a little bit different. In what point are you attempting to defend and show that you have bravado, right? If you're willing to protect a girl, is there any way to prove that stronger than fighting the person who questioned her honor? And I'm just wondering, if this fight doesn't go through, whose fault do you guys think that is? When you're in the position of Logan, you're going to be paid very handsomely, but you're also in on the business. You get what's called back-end money. And this was revealed to us. Now, we expected it anyway, but it was revealed to us. And then the process of this being revealed to us, it was revealed by none other than Jake, his brother. Jake also revealed that Dylan does not get back-end money. Now, that's also not a surprise. Everything that we hear there sounds right. But imagine if you're in Dylan's position. Everything that you're doing to drum up attention for a fight that you already have for a person is an already set amount. Anything you do that then brings attention to that fight, you're doing because you're a good guy. You're not incentivized to do it. They weren't expecting you to do it. You're not the main event, which is our openly our way of saying we're not counting on you to move the needle. We have other guys for that, known as the main event. So then when you step into action, you start doing that. The very person who is suing you is the one that's going to benefit. And there's a very big deal, guys. This entire sport, all the things that you think that you love about it, Some of you love the drama. Some of you love the techniques and the nuances. Some of you love the grit and the determination. All the things that you think that you love, right? And I got to word it that way because there's no one worse to share an opinion of what they like than the critic themselves. The thing that you like is that you have a conflict and you have conflict resolution. The psychology that goes into watching a combat sport is the exact same psychology if you were to turn on Judge Judy or the People's Court back when I was a young man with the great late Judge Wapner. You will have a conflict and you will then have a resolution to that conflict. That is getting removed from us in this boxing match. If Dylan and Logan are to go and box, when that match is over, we don't have resolution. We just have a court date somewhere else to discuss photos that are going around the internet that were not bought by Dylan, procured or produced or taken by Dylan. They were copy and pasted off the internet. Perhaps there's a crime in there. A lot of laws out there. All right, there's a lot of laws out there. It's not as though anybody knows them all. Perhaps there's a crime in that. But if that fight got canceled because of the stresses and or the nuisance involved with having to deal with these court cases, if Dylan was to go, hey, look, remove all that stuff, drop it, let it go. 
You're telling me you want me to stop doing this? Well, let me tell you something back. The moment we get out of the ring, it stops. I can't undo what's already been done any more than you can. That's why those photos were out there on the internet for me to go and copy and paste in the first place. You can't undo what's already done, but you are saying that you wanted to stop. I'm going to agree with that. There will be a stop date, and it's coming soon, but it's not right now. And I, I'm just I'm just wondering, in your perspective, who do you think would be at fault? Is there any room here to pick up where we left off, drop the lawsuit, not put that on somebody, so that we can have conflict and we can have conflict resolution? It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. You've never gone into any other sporting event, any game, any fight, any anywhere where you weren't going to get resolution that night. It's a very big deal. You wouldn't fight with that hanging over you. Dylan wouldn't expect Logan to fight with that hanging over him. So if there's a fault here, and it's those variables that are the issue... Do you think that that's Dylan, or do you think the onus is on Logan? Wonder Boy, Stephen Thompson, yo, what a great guy. Well, like just a truly nice person, and it comes through. It comes through in his interviews. It comes through within his sportsmanship that he shows other people. I caught a Wonder Boy piece with Ariel today, which was great timing because last night I heard Dana talking about Wonder Boy, and it was the day before I find out that Wonder Boy and Rachmanov are going to be fighting in December. So every, everything's kind of coming around, and I was out in Salt Lake City. When Wonder Boy was supposed to fight Michelle, Michelle misses weight. And there was always a back and forth done in the media between Wonder Boy and the organization in terms of what compensation should be. For getting to where I'm at and this being no fault of my own, and there is fault, but it lies solely on that person. What should compensation be? And while this back and forth has been going on, Wonder Boy announces that he's taken the Rock Modify and he believes that whatever was to be worked out or the right thing to have been done in terms of pay regarding his Salt Lake City fight against Michelle is just going to be tacked on in this next fight with Rock Modify. Now, hopefully you guys followed me there. For me, that was one of the bigger pieces of the story, and I was ready to be done, but then Wonder Boy said something else. He made a comment that he was preparing to fight Kumar Usman in December, but he declined Usman and moved over to Rachmanov because he feels Rachmanov is the path back to a championship fight. Now, that is what was said. I did not quote. I'm aware that isn't verbatim, but this was the message. And as much as I enjoy Wonder Boy, and as much as I respect his skills and his ranking, and as much as it would mean to have a win over Rachmanov, I'm not understanding the math. How would beating Rachmanov make the public interested in you versus Colby, or you versus Leon. That's the part where I got lost. How would beating Rachmanov, and you could switch Rachmanov out, you could put Usman in. You, you could do the math any way you want. But how would defeating a person make the public interested in you facing a completely different person? And there are times in this sport when you will observe the rankings. Now, they are very few and far between. As low as a matter of fact of about eight years, about every eight years, just, just south of a decade, 
You will pay a respect to the rankings just to preserve integrity to the rankings. Other than that, you make fights that people want to see. And that's the only part where I got a little bit confused. Like, the the, the interview was interesting. I kind of perked right up when I hear that. Usman versus Wonderboy. Whoa. There's a legendary fight. Wonderboy versus Rachmanov. Whoa. That's going to be a great fight. But my understanding is Leon versus Colby will fight for the belt. Blahal Muhammad will fight the winner for the belt. If everything goes well, if those three are in a round robin, by the time you have resolution to that round robin, it's going to be just north of International Fight Week of 2024. And that just is a very long time away and I'm still curious, and I'd like to be taught something, right? I think I can learn things from Wonder Boy. He's a very sharp guy. But but how does defeating a guy, in this case, Rachman, but it could, it could just be anybody. It could be a guy. How does defeating a guy build an interest in yourself versus a different guy? In a best-case scenario of July of next year. And if we are talking about pure perception, we're going to pay respect to the rankings. We're going to do it. Chael says it happens every eight years. Well, by goodness, it's eight years, and I want to pay respect to the rankings. The fact that Rachmanov has finished everybody, that he's had 16 fights, eight knockouts, eight submissions. Boy, is that ever amazing. Nobody knows those things are true. There is no woman that casually, can, they call the little old lady in Iowa. This isn't a chale expression. Like, that's an expression within the business. Meaning, the little old lady that isn't your demographic, she's not your hardcore, she's not like us that's going to sit down and seek this out in a digital platform such as YouTube because she craves it so much. But she is going to come across it and she's going to stop what she's doing because there's something that catches her attention. Whether it's that galvanized steel of the fence or it's that that shiny gold belt around a guy's shoulder every now and then. And if you were to ask this mythical person who is a more dangerous fighter or who's better or who's more respected or who would beating impress you more, of course she's going to say the guy that she's seen with the belt. Not a guy that's never had the belt. So I only got confused within the math. Like Wonderboy for a world title fight sounds good to me. Makes a lot of sense at a lot of different times to me. Getting a 40-year-old into a title shot, very difficult thing to do. It's happened. I can think of two off the top of my head, whether it was Randy Couture or Glover Teixeira. Like, none of these things are insurmountable. I'm not telling you to look at a mountain and get intimidated and run away. Wonderboy's never done that anywhere in his life. But I am curious how defeating Rachmanov or anybody else would then build an interest in you versus somebody else. Every decade, we will pay a respect to the rankings, which, by the way, with a win over Rachmanov, the rankings still say Blahal goes next. But we can pay a respect to the rankings. We can do all of those things. Or we can understand they're going to put on the fights that are the biggest that the people want to see most. The belt is your goal. Belt might even be somebody in your family's goal. But there's, there's not five people on God's earth who care any less about the belt and you. They will care about you versus an opponent that has a meaningful backstory. And if the belt is a byproduct, that's what dreams are made of. Sean Strickland wants the money fight. Now, this is nothing new. Like, Sean has been saying this for a while. And I have to, I have to tell you that because so many guys get up in the loft and then they pull the ladder up behind them. Or you show them a level of kindness and they eventually turn the gun on you. I do have to point out for you, there is nothing new with what Sean Strickland is saying. He's always been very sincere with you, the audience. You know, and you, and you the audience, you, generally when a guy says, I do it for you and I love you and whatever you want, I appreciate your support. That guy's generally a really big weirdo, right? Generally. And what he's doing is extremely transparent, which is he's laying down a huge blanket. He's throwing all your money in the middle of it. And when it's done, 
He's going to roll it up, throw it over his shoulder like a knapsack, leave town and never think about you again. That's generally what it is. It's different when Sean says it to you. You are Sean's family. You, as critical as you might be, he's used to having people critical of him. He's used to having people that he love that are critical of him. What he's not used to is having support, which is also an arm that you bring. Care. Caring if he's going to win, caring if he's going to lose, caring who he's got next, caring if he succeeds. But he's not used to those things. So Sean is very sincere when he thanks you guys. When he says, man, none of this happens if it's not for you, and I appreciate it. Then he goes right back to telling you, get, get the women in the kitchen and get the guys out of my way because I'll beat them all up. Right? But I mean, it's, it's one of these things where when Sean says, I'm in it for the money, and if the money's right, I will go and do it. That can be really annoying. I understand that. But it's different when Sean says it. Like, like Sean doesn't come out and say, give me $10 million like some guys. Sean has a contract that has an agreement. And so when you want him to go do a favor, he wants you just more than that. Just more than that. Doesn't even have to be more than the next guy. Doesn't even have to be my dream number. But here's what I have, and I would like more. I'm sharing with you, whether you like that or not, he's gotten asked to do some extremely hard things, and he says yes every time. He got asked to go from a co-main event of which he lost into a main event. So now you're coming off of a loss and you're moving up the card. You're coming off of a loss and you have to do 70% more work. I mean, these are big asks. Fly to Australia and take on Israel Adesanya. By the way, you're a 7-1 underdog and everybody in that country hates you. Are you in? Get some really big asks. Looking at what he has and then he would like more. And I bring it to you because we're trying to guess who his opponent's going to be. And Hazmat Chemayev has spoken up. He's the first to speak up. And Chemayev actually did it very humbly. Chemayev likes Sean Strickland. And he trained with Sean Strickland. And they have a rapport. And Chemayev served all of those masters while letting Sean know, I'm coming for you next. I'm going to get done with Paul Acosta and then I'm coming for you. He let him know. And I do see that as being a very drawable fight. What, what, what is going on with Chemayev and the marketing, it's an extremely up in the air, anybody can guess. But I've never seen anything quite like it. I have never seen a fire so hot where a very collective and calculated effort to turn that into embers. I've just never witnessed it. And there's different rumors that are circulated. The primary rumor on Chemayev as to why the the red hot flame, a top three media darling in the history of our sport, Chemayev, McGregor, Rousey, nobody else breaks into that. Number four, five, and six are way down the list. And Lesnar's probably next in line, and he's way down. In the history of our sport, Patty Plummer, what he's going through right now, doesn't even come close to touching... The way the media embraced Chemayev, Rousey, and McGregor. And that all got put to a stop. And I don't know why. But the rumor is that Chemayev has a hard time getting around. The rumor is that Chemayev has extreme travel issues in terms of his ability to get around. Now, I would normally think that I, above everybody would know to not believe that. Because the first time this story started, that Chemayev could not get to the States. The first time that story was broken by me. I turn on my little iPhone like this. I'm standing in Las Vegas. I give you the backdrop of the performance center. I say, oh, and by the way, the rumor that Chemayev can't get here. And I turn the camera. I'm standing there talking to Chemayev. I literally make a video speaking to Chemayev in America in the midst of the headlines that Shemayev can't get to America. But that rumor has now poked its head again. That Shemayev can't get, and then whatever fill-in-the-blank is, right? This side of the Mississippi, whatever that line on the equator is. And according to reports, he has left his team in Sweden, and he has moved to UAE. United Arab Emirates. 
And I know there is a gym out there. I, I know that Tio Vasa's training out there. I don't know if it's the same gym. I don't know a whole lot about it. But the rumor as to why the move happened is because that will give him a little bit of flexibility within the country, which is the only country that he's going to be fighting. And I'm only suggesting for you, if that rumor is true, of which I don't personally believe, if that rumor is true, that could restrict his ability to get a title shot. On the other hand, if there's only one country that you can get to as a fighter, that's the one. That's the one with the right friends and the right relationships, and they'll come to you. But I bring that up because is is that why they quit marketing Chemayev? Is that why they quit building Chemayev? Is that why the only one that's telling you Chemayev with a win becomes the number one contender is me and now Chemayev? And moreover, if you want Sean's blessing, can Chemayev outdraw Paulo Costa? That's a hard one to imagine. As big as Chemayev is, and he is big, Paulo Costa is a fan favorite as well. And if Paulo Costa was to come in and do what nobody imagines he can, which is to get the jump on Chemayev, I mean, you're going to get a bounce from that too. That's very hard for you guys to close your eyes and imagine. But I do feel both of those guys are going to be equal in terms of their ability to draw opposite Strickland. And maybe not right this second. We're not talking about right this second. We're talking about after that fight. Paulo Costa, having just been the first man to ever beat Chemayev, I believe draws ever bit as strong as Chemayev. Who, if he beats Paulo Costa, stays undefeated, goes in against his own training partner. And the question is, since nobody's saying this, since no one at the UFC has ever co-signed what I just said, since Sean Strickland has not co-signed what I just said, since Chemayev and Paulo Costa have not fainted or told anybody that this is a number one contenders match, what is it that Duplessis should do? And Duplessis is in a colossally interesting spot. He was holding a golden ticket. He was told he was a number one contender. He should expect that. He should demand that. He should yell that from the rooftops. This is what I was told. This is what I fought for. This is what I have. Here's my golden ticket. Sean Strickland's talking about he doesn't know who he's going to fight next. Well, yes, you do if you can read. He should be pushing that narrative, but he's not. He's not. If he wants to fight Izzy next, he should go after Izzy full throttle, say to hell with the championship but he should go after it full throttle, and he's not. He's not doing that. I think he'd prefer a title shot. I think he should go sit front row at this fight. I think he should insert himself. And I would say the same thing for Sean Strickland. If he plans to fight the winner of Chemayev versus Paulo Costa, and he wants to make some money, he can get out to Fight Island, sit in the front row, and have an organic moment. A fight that had such little steam, the organization didn't even want to do it. Was an unknown, great fighter, but very unknown. Not a needle mover. His name was Islam Makhlchev. And he was going to fight another great fighter, but not anybody paid to see. Alexander Volkanovsky. They forced that fight. Volk sat in the front row. Daniel Cormier went into business for himself. Calls Volkan to the ring, and they have an organic stare-off. It wasn't planned. And something very organically and natural happened. Which is Volkanovsky let Islam know, we're not just fighting for your belt because I have a title too, which is number one pound for pound. You bring your belt, I will bring goat status. And all of a sudden you have a completely different outlook and a completely different reason for these two fighting. So the fight that nobody wanted, the fight that wasn't going to take place, the fight against two guys that couldn't main event and couldn't draw flies if they needed to, are now going to fight each other, and it turns out to do a top five pay-per-view in the history of the organization. For all we know, it was number one. For all we know, it was number one. All we know is that it was the top five. Where on that list, right? It was, it's one of these interesting situations. So if Strickland wants to make some money, look, there's ways to do it. There's ways to sit your ass at home, not go out there and, and make that interesting too. But I think that Sean has been very consistent. I don't think he's bluffing. I don't think he cares who he fights. The leading suspect under the regulation that Sean Strickland put out, which is to make the most money, the leading suspect is none other than Israel Adesanya. Sean's not going to make money 
with too many of those other guys. But if you let Paulo Costa relax and let him do what he does, Paulo's not doing it for the Chimaya fight. But in a normal situation, I think that you could build something very big. I would say the same for Chimaya. I'm just letting you guys know, make no mistake, there's a lot of contenders out there. Robert Whitaker is one of them. There's a lot of contenders out there that could be making demands, planning to be front row, getting into the wheelhouse of Sean Strickland. None of them are doing anything. And if everything stays equal, which is these interchangeable mediocrities known as middleweight, if everything stays the way it is right now and we're just going to go to the biggest draw, it's without question a rematch against Adesanya. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And to those of you who have been interacting with my poll questions on Spotify, I really appreciate the feedback and I will continue to seek it out from those of you who listen on Spotify. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Come back and see me on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>